What's up, everybody? Fired up to welcome you back to the Secret Sauce Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Swing. Get ready for what has been one of my favorite episodes to date. Richard Magia is the owner-operator of Chick-fil-A Gaithersburg in the D.C. metro area. He has an incredible story that begins with parents coming to America from Nicaragua and Colombia. He's going to unpack how his journey has helped him uncover three pillars that remain a constant focus and are ingrained into his culture, care, development, and accountability. The catalyst for all three of these pillars being where your feet are. Get ready to dig into the power of presence. Richard, fired up to have you on the podcast today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here and listen to some other podcasts that you've had on. So I'm excited to engage in this conversation with you. Yeah, man, well, we've had one conversation already just about some of the things that we'll discuss on the podcast today. So I know our listeners are going to be really excited to hear about some of this too. Um, it's something that I'm very personally passionate about. Richard, we got the chance to meet recently mm-hmm. at the DC Fall Retreat up there in, in Bedford, Pennsylvania. And man, it's it's been fun. We've just, I feel like we've hit it off since. Like we were just instantly friends and mm-hmm. to have a couple of conversations around Wild Spark and through those conversations, hearing your story, more people need to hear this. And so so I got to have Richard on the podcast to share some of it. So, so yeah, man, thanks again for coming on. I, I know it's going to be a great time. Um, yeah, yeah. I've been on a journey for the last, you know, 10 years, a lot of ups and downs, but fortunate to, to be where I am today. So I'm excited to share a little bit. Yeah. Um, I'm excited for you too, as well. The first question, what is your favorite sauce, Richard, at the restaurant? What's your go-to? What's the one sauce that you cannot live without? So the one sauce I can't live without, and this is might be a little different than what I've heard because I, you know, I hear a lot of Chick-fil-A sauce fans, maybe Polynesian here and there, but man, like my favorite sauce is the honey roasted barbecue. So I don't know if you tried it yet, but it's like a mix of Chick-fil-A sauce and barbecue sauce. It is. It's really good. I feel like it's a well-kept secret though. Um, Not a lot of people know about it. It doesn't come in the traditional sauce Mm. packet. It comes in like the terrible sauce Mm -hmm. packet. So I feel like it gets overlooked. Honey roasted barbecue does not get enough love. So I'm I'm glad, I'm glad that you're giving it a shout out here and some Mm -hmm. recognition. It's, it's, (laughs) it's really good. I have had it a a couple of times. Yeah. I love, like I have a, I have a brother-in-law who's like been to Chick-fil-A, you know, for years and years, but you'd be surprised like, Hey man, have you tried like honey roasted barbecue sauce before? And he's like, no, I never knew that existed. And like, you know, that first time trying it, man, just seeing his face, it's like, this is my new favorite sauce. I love kind of being an <laughs> evangelist of the honey roasted barbecue sauce. <laughs> you're just out here converting people on the sauce. Oh, yeah, oh, for sure. You're, you're bringing them over to the honey roasted barbecue side. Well, yeah, yeah. people, if you haven't tried it next time you're at Chick-fil-A, you got to go. You got to go ask for some of the honey roasted barbecue. There you go. Yeah. Oh. Um, <laughs> Um, this is going to be really cool and unique. I'm excited for this conversation, but I'd love for you to unpack for everybody really what your secret sauce is, the way that you engage your team, the way that you seek to really lead your team well. What is that guided by? What would you label you know, your secret sauce as an operator? Yeah, I mean, that really falls under kind of three pillars that I talk about a lot. And um, just one of the neat things with Chick-fil-A is that like we're such a company that's oriented around growth and development. So I started with Chick-fil-A 10 years ago, just as you know, as a team member, worked my way to like a mid-level manager, then a director would have had a little more influence, then got into the leadership development program. So just in that span of like six, seven, eight years working through that, got to experience just a lot of different um, you know, leadership models and really got to 
got the opportunity to now like craft my own mm-hmm. as the owner operator of my own business. And I really just falls into three pillars, care, uh, development and accountability. Those are powerful words. And I love the way that you've referenced them and labeled them as, as pillars, right? They're critical to the foundation of, of your business. They're, they're supporting it. They're holding it up. Core values can sometimes just be words on a wall or mm. you know, words that are mentioned every once in a while. But it sounds like it's something that you've been very intentional about, especially because of your experience too. And that's really cool. We're going to get into that a little bit later, just about some of the people who've, who've, shaped, who've helped shape this and form this, but getting to learn you know, some of, from some other people that you got to serve alongside of and then getting to craft and form your own of the culture that you wanted to exist within your restaurant and it really being detailed as care development and accountability. Well, I want to unpack each of these a little bit, Richard, if that's okay with you, let's start with care. I'd love to hear some of the whys behind these words and the way that you think about them through care development and accountability. Yeah. Again, like a lot of this was shaped just by my own journey, just, you know, growing up and working at Chick-fil-A a lot of it was shaped by my uh, one of my previous operators, Eric. I mean, I remember going through some of like the darkest times of my life and just how he stopped everything, pulled me in the office and prayed for me. Mm-hmm. And things like that were just so impactful. Not only did it mean something to me in the moment, but it really increased my productivity, my loyalty to the business and to him, right? Mm-hmm. And just time and time again, just a lot of experiences like that where it's like, man, these people care for me more than what I'm producing or even like the value I'm bringing to the business. But for me individually and personally, I remember going through a divorce, uh, man, this was five or six years ago, hardest time of my life. Mm. I mean, just I'd go days without eating, just really, really dark and depressing time. But I had a, my operator, Eric, was just a pillar for me, would pray for me, counsel me. And all those things are one of the reasons why, even in the times of thinking about giving up or you know leaving Chick-fil-A, he stuck with me and really encouraged me through that whole process. And because of that care he showed me, you know, I'm here today, right? Yeah. Um, so I got to experience some of that personally. I mean, we know through studies on retention and you know what team members are looking for, also, like that is something that keeps team members around, right? Not only does it keep team members around, but we've heard the saying like cared for team members, care for customers, right? So it's just a win-win, like team members feel valued, they feel cared for. And it's a win for the business also, because our customers also feel cared for and valued. Personally, right? It's so fulfilling to care for others. Like you said, to be that person like Eric was who guided you through that dark time. But, But yeah, just from a strictly business perspective, there's enough business evidence to support hey, your business is going to succeed at a higher level if you care for people. Now, that can't be your primary motivator because people can sniff out if it's sure. disingenuous or if you're doing it for the wrong reasons. But yeah, I mean, obviously it's a, it's a double-edged sword there. And I know going through times like that in your life, right, when you have some of those dark moments, we all go through challenges and valleys and they may look different for different people. When you're in them, a lot of times you're questioning it, right? It's like, why mm-hmm. am I, why am I in this right now? Or, or, you know, why is this happening to me? But as a result of all that that you went through, Richard, it developed, and I think this is first on the list probably for a reason, care, but it developed this passion for caring for others because of the way that you were cared for. And now because of the position that you're in, you get to do that for so many other people. And and the impact of it is being multiplied beyond what even Eric initially intended by 
caring for you. Now he's caring for hundreds and hundreds of people as a result because of the people that are they're working at your restaurant. So man, really powerful, really awesome to get to hear some of that. Thanks for your vulnerability and just sharing some yeah, of that, absolutely. some of your story and life journey and why that's made care so important. Let's let's shift over now to the second one. We'd love to hear more about the development piece and why that's number two on the list. Yeah. Again, like a lot of it was shaped by my own leadership journey. I mean, I can tell you when I first got on board with Chick-fil-A, I wasn't the the leader I am today, right? Nor am I the leader I want to be 10 years from now. But there was people, whether it's like managers or my operator, I work for two different operators, Eric and Kristen, who genuinely wanted me to succeed, you know, and whatever I wanted to do. So whether that's sending me to the support center for like a leadership development class or whatever it was, there was this developing of me that happened over my span of, you know, as a leader in the restaurants or as, you know, in the leadership development program that's made me to the, you know, leader I am today. And so it was, you know, one of the reasons we, you know, joined up with WildSpark because we know like, hey, there's a platform out there that can, isn't like shameless plug there, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, there's a platform out there that can help us grow as an organization, right? And I know that just as I grew as a leader over like the last 10 years, I can provide the same opportunity for future, you know, future up and coming leaders in my restaurant, my team now. And again, if you want to look at the studies also, we know like perceived development or upward mobility within organizations are another like key driver for retention, right? So it's just like, hey, some of it is shaped by my own personal upbringing and my own journey. And then some of it is shaped by just like good business practice. And we know that when we're leading with like care and development, we'll get into accountability, but we we know our team members, they feel valued and then they're more productive and they're serving our guests better. So it's just all around win-win. Feel free to, to shout out WildSpark as much as you want to, Richard. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Gotcha. <laughs> but uh, I know that it was a passion of yours long before we connected and we talked about you know the WildSpark platform and scaling that and helping maximize that strategy and process that you have for it there internally. But I'm sensing a theme here of just your career with Chick-fil-A and what you found to be most important. And that being the guide for these core values that you have, these pillars that you have in place. The first two, we're two for two here, man. Both of these things are, are incredible. And so let's round it out. I want to hear about accountability and the part that that plays in, in these pillars and even kind of maybe how it leads into and leans into care and development, the first two. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that third pillar of accountability, the best way I like to describe it during, you know, my portion of orientation is I bring up the military, right? I'm sure you've seen like the movies or um, like the scene where like the commander walks past the bed. He's checking like, hey, are your boots shined? Are they clean? Like, is your pillow nice and fluffy? Are your sheets perfectly folded over? And I always ask this question orientation, like, why does that matter? How does a fluffy pillow translate into like you shooting a gun uh, in war, right? And the point I'm trying to make is like the small, it's it's a mindset thing. So that that mindset of excellence with the small things really translates over to everything you do. So we do make a big deal of like, hey, you forgot your name tag. Hey, let's talk through this, right? Or, hey, let's make sure your shoes are cleaned every time you come to work. Uh, let's make sure you have the right belt, name tag. I mean, all these things, it's not necessarily because we're sticklers on uniform, but we believe that if we hold our team to high standards in the small things, they will maintain that same mindset of high standards with the way they serve the guests or the way they they lead our team. So it really encompasses everything we do there. 
100%. It reminds me of, of the biblical principle. He who is faithful with little is faithful with much. Exactly. You're forming the way that you steward things well through the, the small things that you're doing, like wearing your name tag, dressing professionally, fluffing your pillow, shining your shoes. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's, it's leading to those big moments and what you will do in those big moments. All three of these have been really, really uh, encouraging for me to hear, Richard, through, through care, development, and accountability. I appreciate you unpacking all of these. We've talked a little bit about just what you've been learning recently. Uh, there's another, I know there's another aspect of your secret sauce that really falls mm-hmm. under this umbrella of the pillars that you have in place through care, development, and accountability, and how you go about maximizing those things. So what does that practically look like? What are you learning right now and how to be the best that you can be in caring for people and developing leaders and then in, in holding your team accountable. Yeah, for sure. I mean, some of this um, has come through, you know, some tough conversations uh, with my wife, with leaders. I remember sitting down with a leader probably, you know, a few months ago and the leader's like, Hey, I, can, I have to share something with you. I feel like when we're doing our one-on-one meetings, you're thinking about something else or you're focused on something else. She kind of she kind of mimicked me a little bit. Like she put out her phone, like, this is you, like looking at your phone, you know, back in the conversation, <laughs> look at your phone, back in the conversation. And then like with my wife, I remember a situation where she said something and I heard like the background noise, but I wasn't really listening to what she was saying. Yep. And then she just made his face and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like I, there's a level of my life where I'm not being present with the people who are around me. Mm-hmm. I heard operators say once, like in one of our retreats recently, like, you know, be where your feet are, right? Essentially, like your heart, your mind, um, your thoughts, your energy should be present where your feet are with whoever you're talking to. That kind of leads into like this book I've been reading recently, but you know, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by uh, John Mark Comer. Gosh, great book. And such a good book. Yeah, that's kind of, that's one of those books you read like once a year. Yeah. Uh, just to like remind you. Gotta go you, back to it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and his big thing is on presence, right? And one of the things he says, like, you know, you think about the fruits of the spirit, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all those things are incompatible with a life and really a heart that is always hurried, yeah, that is always worried about the next thing. So, man, I've just been learning a lot from that book. Um, he really expands on the life of Jesus, right? Yeah. Uh, you see Jesus in, in the Gospels, even on Sermon on the Mount, he's interrupted and he he starts teaching like on anxiety and he uses the things that are around him to make his message. Right. He says yeah. like, look at the, the birds of the air, how like the father cares for them or look at the lilies of the field, how even the father clothes them. And you think about Jesus, like had a lot going on, probably very busy, but was present enough in the moment to observe the things that were around him and, you know, and make, you know, use those to, to teach and to, to, to make a point. So yeah, that's been that's been big for me. We can I love to kind of get your thoughts on that. I know you've been yeah. reading it also, but it's such a good book. Yeah, yeah. I've I've also spent a lot of time in the book and uh, I've listened to a couple of different podcasts on it. It's um man, it's it's earth-shattering. It's it's groundbreaking some of the principles that he delivers through it. Um and it'll just open your eyes. It creates such high levels of awareness to things that you may have not been aware of before. I'll go back to what you said, man. I love, man, aren't team members great for just keeping us grounded and uh, (laughs) and humble. It's not necessarily bad intention. Like it's not anything negative that you're doing, right? It's, it's not a sin to, you know, check your email, but it's like what you're communicating as a result of that, right? You're, you're Mm -hmm. checking on the business or you're 
you know, making sure that you've got everything taken care of or whatever it is by, by checking your phone. But what you're communicating to that individual that's with you is that whatever is over here is more important mm-hmm. than my conversation with you. And that may not be your intent, or you may not actually think that, but it's what your actions are communicating. And, and it can be detrimental to relationships, uh, to leadership. If people don't feel like going back to care, that genuine level of care, mm-hmm. it's hard to feel cared for when some, when it feels like somebody would rather be somebody somewhere else instead of in that conversation. And I love the phrase that you mentioned there, be where your feet are, um, being fully present. I know you brought up some of the fruits of the spirit and and love, Mm -hmm. joy, and peace. And, and even the life of Jesus, right. And Jesus didn't move fast, right. He wasn't hurried or busy all the time to the, to the extent where, right? He, he lacked bandwidth. He moved Mm -hmm. at this slow pace and took time to be a part of conversations, to be fully invested in those conversations that he was having. And Jesus is the best leader ever, right? Mm -hmm. There's, um, there's no (laughs) arguing that. And so I think we can learn a lot from that in our world today that says, hurry, do more, be fat, like move faster, do more things, cram it all in. I think that to be effective leaders, we have to slow down to be as, as influential as we can possibly be, to be as impactful as we can possibly be. We have to slow down and really focus and be, like you said, be where our feet are. I know John Mark Comer references, right? That, that it's easier said than done, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you mentioned, you brought up technology, Richard, as being you know the motivator for that distraction and that conversation that you had with one of your team members a while ago that that's shifted your focus on this. But John Mark Comer references this uh, this concept of a, a rule of life, not rules of life. So it's not like, hey, here are the 25 things that you have to do um, to live an enjoyable life or fulfilling life. It's more of like the rule that it's a it's an ancient Christian principle, but it's a weird American um, or English translation. It actually is uh, more relatable to a ruler or a trellis. It's like a guide. So a trellis is in a vineyard. It's what a vine would would grow on to get it out of the weeds, to allow it to thrive, to grow up, and then to produce fruit, right? To produce love, joy, and peace. And, and he would argue that um, we have to have a level of intention around what we're doing. So it's, it's not enough just to say, oh, I'm going to be on my phone less. Um, right. You have to be very intentional about it. The guardrails that you put in place to help you hit a home run. So I'd love to hear just about how this practically plays out for you and the way that you're processing this and practically living this out because right, there's billions of dollars at stake from these you know companies like Google and Facebook and Instagram right they're all they're all investing these massive amounts of money to ultimately distract us to uh, mm-hmm. to make us more addicted and so uh, I'd love to hear some of the steps that you're taking to combat that to fight that and to uh, and to be fully present where you are yeah, for sure. I mean, even that in itself has been a journey for me because you think about a Chick-fil-A restaurant, right? We're known for like our high volumes. We want fast pace, right? I mean, we we have metrics that that encourage us to continue moving faster, to continue like um, with like speed of service. And that's kind of ingrained into who we are as as operators. And even the count, that's what the culture tells us, right? Like mm-hmm. how much work can you get done? How many hours can you work? So especially where I live in DC, like that's the like the the challenge, like, okay, you work 40 hours, I worked 50 hours, you work yeah. 50 hours, I work 60, you did 60, 70. So like you wear it as a badge of honor, like being able to work more than somebody else. 
Exactly. 100%. And that was like my, that was, that's been my mindset for the last few years. I remember when I worked like 120 hours in one single week, I was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, what have you done? Right. (laughs) And that, that was really what I prided myself in. Like, how can I outwork you? How can I out hustle you? Um, But the reality is like that um, is is very fleeting. Right. And it's not sustainable. Um, And I'm thankful that there's people coming out now saying like, hey, this like the the way of Elon Musk and working like 80, 90 hours a week isn't actually productive at all. Right. Yeah. I'm thankful like there's psychologists and scientists kind of making these points now. Um, and we know our souls, our souls need that. So that's been hard for me over the last two years. It's been, you know, a challenge to kind of switch that mindset of how much work can I get done to like how much, how present can I be in the things that I'm doing? So in the last few months, one of the biggest things for me is just like my mornings, right? Protecting my mornings. Um, So every day from like 6 a.m. to 10 a.m., no one can can contact me. You know, on my phone now, there's a focus mode where um, unless it's my wife or someone calls me over, you know, more than one time within a minute, um, there's no one that can get through to me. Right. So those are times just for like spiritual formation where my mind is being renewed, where I can kind of quiet my soul a little bit. I know once I step into the restaurant, there's five, 10 people who just want to engage, talk to me know, share issues, their problems with me. Um, And I want to be present for that. That's just the reality of our role. That's the reality of the business, right? We're growing. There's a, it's very complex. There's things that are happening, but in order for me to be present with the team in front of me, I need to protect those mornings. And since doing that, that's been just really a game changer for me, where in the mornings I'm focusing just my spiritual growth, focusing like on professional development. Um, I even set the time to like make a smoothie and toast for my wife where I'm able to just engage with her a little bit there. Yeah. And it's I've seen the fruit. I mean, I I'm, even recently I was sitting in a restaurant and one of uh, our, our you know normal guests comes up to us. And if this was a few months ago, I'd be in the restaurant trying to get work done, right? Like I'd be in the restaurant on my laptop, like, please don't interrupt me. I'm super busy right now. But she's our normal guest, like Louise. Um, She comes in, she's by herself. She normally comes in with her friends and she's, you know, elderly. She comes in like very, I mean, I can just tell in the moment, like very um, burdened and heavy. Mm -hmm. And she's like, hey, Richard, like, I'm just not having a good day today because my daughter um, has COVID and um, she's not doing too well at all. And I can just see like the heaviness in her. Um, and in that moment, I asked her, I said, hey, like, Louise, can I pray for you? And can I pray for your daughter? And I did. And I could just see how that small gesture just really, um, God used that to just like spark a level of joy in her, right? To give her, to energize her for, you know, for that day. Like I said, man, if this was a few months ago, that moment wouldn't happen. No, it just yeah. it wouldn't happen. So, like setting those mornings aside for the times that are you know the things that are really important for me has opened up opportunity for me uh, to be more present when I'm with people. So yeah, no, I, I agree. I think if she looks over and sees you like head down in your laptop mm-hmm. or on your phone, she may not ever come over and engage you in any way. And so because she the perception is oh he's busy or I don't want to bother him or I don't want to interrupt, mm-hmm. but because you were fully present, it opened the door to have that conversation and to be salt and light, right? To her on that day and to, to be able to pray for her. And so, um, I think that's a great, uh, it's a, it's a great case for why it's so important to be present because things like that just don't happen when we're in this hurried, busy state. We, 
we may, may never even notice some of those small things like, oh, she's by herself. Oh, she looks slightly burdened. But you were able to pick up on some of those cues because uh, you were there. Uh, and I, I, I want to go back to some of the things you said and unpack some of it. I know you mentioned about just some of the guardrails that you put in place, some of the practical things that you do. And yeah, there's this cool thing now on your phone that is focus mode. And so you can actually eliminate distractions, but I mean, there's, there's other ways that you could do it too. You could turn your phone off completely, which I know is right. If, if, if it is emergency and somebody's trying to get in touch with you, that, that could be potentially dangerous, but, but yeah, I would, I would encourage, you know, I don't know what it is for you who's listening, but to put some of those very practical guardrails in place. I know that this is radical. I know that it's extremely countercultural. There's stats, and I've got a couple of them here, that 93% of Americans sleep with a phone next to their bed. And over 70% of of Americans check their phone first thing upon waking for the day. Mm -hmm. Jesus talks a lot about the mornings being such a formative time for people. Mm -hmm. That's when he spent a lot of time in prayer. I, I don't know why you would leave the formation of your day, the most valuable time of your day up to chance with an email that could pop up or a text message that you that you may receive or something that you might see on social media. I think that's sacred time. Obviously you've seen the impact of that in your life, Richard, and the difference that it's made, you know, not having those things from six to 10 in the morning and being able for that to set the pace for the rest of the day. I, I think it sets the tone for the day. There's also another stat that Amer- the average American picks up their phone and checks their smartphone 96 times of the course of the day, which is a yeah awful lot of times to pick up your phone and check it. Mm-hmm. Obviously that number is drastically reduced if you're not doing that between six and 10, but then also you get in this habit, right? You're being formed. Charles Duhigg in, in his book, The Power of Habit says the things we, that we do, the overarching principle of it is the things that we do, do things to us. They do something mm-hmm. to us. And so it's beyond just checking your phone or allowing it to be a distraction. It's going to happen more and more frequently because that's who you are. You're, you're somebody who checks their phone all the time, or you're somebody mm-hmm. who's constantly connected to your phone versus somebody who is aware of it and intentional about guarding against it. I, I mean, I would say if I had to, I've, I've never shared my secret sauce, but my, <laughs> my secret sauce would be a very similar idea to the one that you have Richard, with the way that you think about your pillars and in the power of presence. We'll, uh, we'll shift over because I know that all these things haven't happened by chance. You've been very clear that your story has shaped a lot of this. And so I want to dig in more to your story and your background and just where you've, where you've come from and how that shaped some of these things. Cause, uh, cause I think that's something that the world needs to hear. So unpack it for me, man. I, I know that your parents are from Nicaragua and Colombia, and you've got five brothers and sisters. And so tell me a little bit about growing up, what little Richard was like and, uh, <laughs> and how that's helped you, um, grow into the person that you are today. Yeah. Yeah. So my mom's from uh, Colombia, my dad's from uh, Nicaragua, which is, um, which is neat. Uh, Gaithersburg is where, you know, my restaurant is located. And if you look at kind of statistics and like Wallet Hub comes out every year with like the 10 most diverse cities in the country, mm-hmm. Gaithersburg is typically, you know, one, two or three in terms of like ethnic diversity, language, their, you know, diversity, birthplace, all those type of things. So I'm in a place where if you walk into the local like Costco or Sam's Club, you feel like you're in a different country. <laughs> you look around like, where am I like in the States? Like, where am I? <laughs> right now 
which is cool. I, I love it, right? I love my team is like really diverse. Um, and just even being able to connect with them like on that level is just uh, like a ton of fun. But yeah, my mom was born in Colombia, my dad in uh, Nicaragua. They moved to the States as adults. So they met in Washington, D.C. as adults. And um, they got married and kind of like any good, you know, Latino families do, they start having, you know, a bunch of kids, right? So I had an older, older brother, me, and then three younger sisters, um, which was a ton of fun growing up. But, you know, if you've ever met someone who's new to the country, a lot of times they don't know the language, right? Mm-hmm. So my mom and dad, we don't really know the language. We have like five little kids running around the house. It means like they're not, you know, my mom... Until this day, she's still like a daycare slash nanny. My dad is like a car mechanic. Um, just means like there wasn't a ton of money to go around. Um, so that kind of shaped me growing up. I mean, I remember one year where we lost the house that we we're living in, and my aunt had a small spare bedroom in her basement. Um, and in our house, there's already like my aunt that was living upstairs with her two kids. I had another aunt upstairs with her son. In the basement, it was an uncle. And then in the other room, it was my uh, my grandma, my grandfather. So in the smallest room that was still left, you know, the one that no one wanted, and that's where the seven us, seven of us moved in. And that's where we lived for about wow. two years. So we, you know, put out two beds there. It was my mom and my dad on one side, my older brother, three, me, and then my three younger sisters all kind of sharing like two beds together. And man, like part of that was a ton of fun, right? Because you have all your cousins there, like the house is full. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, like there was something in me where like, this is kind of embarrassing also. Mm-hmm. I mean, to this day, I have this memory of like a friend wanting to come over and we're going to trade like baseball cards. I was going to take my brother's older card and trade it, but <laughs> he wanted to come over. And um, in my mind, I'm like, there's no way you're coming over. Like, there's no way I'm going to let you see all the people we have living in this house. Yeah. Um, not only don't I have my own room, but I share it with like six other people. And it kind of forced me to start like, I think at that moment, like this whole entrepreneurial um, drive was birth. So I remember like around that age, like tech deck skateboards were really popular. Yeah. So I would like, you know, buy, you know, skateboards and I sell it for like a dollar extra just to make me, you know, a dollar here and there. Yeah. And I just saw from my parents also, like they were just working extremely, extremely hard. Mm. I remember like six days, sick days for me weren't really sick days, right? If I was sick, my mom was like, okay, you're coming with me and we're going to, you know, help me clean this house out today. <laughs> so <laughs> like she'd take me, like my job was like the vacuum. And to this day, I remember one of the houses that we'd go to there's like two pugs there that weren't friendly no offense if you like pugs but they weren't cute at all right (laughs) they weren't cute yeah there was hair all over the place and that was just my job like to like vacuum all their hair all you know but i learned because you know i'd get a few dollars here and there and i just kind of learned like the value of like what work does like i know it's like hey if i can produce a service that people want like i'm gonna get you know, money for that. And that kind of just shaped me growing up, like in high school, bought and sold two cars were, you know, the area I'm from like, you know, Jordan basketball shoes really popular. So yeah. I'd buy, you know, get in line for a long time and buy a pair of like Jordans and yeah. sell them. And awesome. uh, just, yeah, learned a ton, learned a ton like during that time for my parents who just worked extremely hard and kind of shaped like who I am today. So those experiences were all, you know, some of them weren't as fun, but they really shaped, you know, who I am and the leader I am today. Man, I love the stories, the entrepreneur mindset of 
reselling tech decks oh, yeah. and, and <laughs> Jordan shoes that growing into cars. It's like this escalation of it over yeah. time, but it really, mm-hmm. the situation that you were in for those two years really breeded that it, 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 uh, it ignited this aspiration for more, right. Of, you know, I want to do something about this. I want to contribute, um, to help the situation, which I think is, is really cool. I know you mentioned you tell this story in your, onboarding of new team members, which you do a lot of your training now is happening in playgrounds with, you know, dining rooms yeah. being closed playgrounds yeah. have kind of transformed <laughs> into a, a multi-purpose space. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but you mentioned it like, Hey, the room that I lived in with seven people was the size of mm-hmm. this playground room right here, which is, I can't even imagine this. I, 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 that's crazy. And, uh, man, I know that you talked about your parents and their work ethic, you know, that growing, your work ethic and, and the way that you work today, even shadowing your mom, cleaning houses, vacuuming up after mm-hmm. crazy pugs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I know your mom is a big part of who you are. And so tell me and, and tell everyone what you learned from your mom, just getting to shadow her, getting to follow her and her growth mindset, the way that she worked extremely hard and was really an aggressive learner and forged her own path. So my mom, yeah, moved from Colombia. She, my probably when she was in the 20s or so, but even in Colombia, grew up like extremely poor. So only educated to third grade. I think she was like, I don't know, eight or nine when she stopped going to school. And even recently, her birthday was the last week. She was kind of, you know, telling the stories like, hey, when I was nine, saying like I was cooking for my entire family. I'm like full on meals, right? No microwave or anything like that. Full meals. I've taken them out to the field. But even though she's only like formally educated to third grade, she's always had like this hunger and drive for learning. I mean, I can think back, like, you know, just years and years of like all the books she'd buy and read. Even to this day, she probably has a book in her purse. Like she would put in a Ziploc bag inside her purse. And that was just her thing. Like any, even if it was 10 minutes, like we were waiting for the bus or we just, you know, we're hanging out somewhere. There's free time. She'd pull out a book and start reading. And that thing that's been just such a just motivation for me just to continue learning and to continue growing. Um, like a lot of times in like the Hispanic culture, the mindset is like, put your head down and just work really, really hard, right? Don't really kind of make a name for yourself. Don't really try to lead necessarily, but just put your head down and just work, grind, be very loyal and be like the hardest worker in the room. And that's kind of like the mindset. But one thing she taught me was like, you can do those things, but you can still, you know, become more, right? Yeah. And for for me, that came through like reading. Um, I mean, I'm looking at my bookshelf now, just a ton of books that I enjoy reading and shaped who I am. It's shaping who I'm becoming. And a lot of that just came from my mom. She always just had a passion to read. And that really got instilled into who I am today. Yeah. There's uh, a phrase that we throw around here at Wildspark that says, leaders are readers. You have to have that growth mindset. I love that your mom had that and modeled that extremely well, that there wasn't this traditional education that was in place, but she self-educated, right? She read all the time and modeled that extremely well for you. Because I think that as leaders, right, if we're not growing, then we're getting worse, right? There's no, there's no stagnation as a leader. And, and so to be as effective as we possibly can, we have to have that lifelong learner mentality, that growth mindset, um, right? To always be pushing ourselves to be a better version, right? We have to walk that so that our team follows, right? They're going to, mm-hmm. they're going to do what we do much more than they'll do what we say. And so right. I love that your mom modeled that for you. And now you're getting to model that for your team and the way that you push them to be better. That leads me into my next question 
Richard, was just going to be around multiplying leaders in your life and people who've made a big impact on you. Obviously, your mom is a big one of those, but I wanted to give you the opportunity to share just who some of those other people are that may have impacted you along the way. I know you've mentioned operators kind of in passing here on the podcast so far. So Mm -hmm. take a moment, shout them out. I know that they would love to hear just some of the impact that they had on you and, and the way that you now lead your team as a result. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so yeah, I have my mom, my dad too, just like an entrepreneur's entrepreneur. Like, I mean, just anything he can do. I mean, he's probably had 10 or 15 different business concepts. I mean, always just, you know, looking for ways to take a chance, you know, take risks and, you know, find ways to, to, you know, to make money, which is important to us when we were growing up. He actually had two restaurants also. My introduction to what it looks like to run a restaurant, he had two Mexican restaurants. So I learned a ton from him. After college, yeah, I worked for Eric. He was operator in uh, Silver Spring, Maryland. And those, you know, four years working with him were extremely formative. Just got to see what it looks like to, to care for people well, not only just to care for people, but to run a, a very, you know, successful profitable business and got to see what the merger of those two looked like, right? I can, hey, I can have a successful business and I, I also care for people extremely well. And that was really the first time I got to see that. And now today we're actually on the same operator team. So it's cool to be peers with him. Full circle. Um, sit, yeah, <laughs> sit side by side with him. And he was, yeah, even during those really dark times, he he didn't give up on me. He probably wanted to a few times, but he didn't. So, <laughs> um, I'm here today. And then after working for Eric for a few years, actually, I moved to uh, Columbia, South America. So I left Chick-fil-A for a little bit moved to South America to teach English. Just always yeah. had this passion to like live overseas for a while. And so I lived there for about six months. I came back and I worked for an operator in Washington, D.C., uh, Kristen McRae. Man, just her desire to genuinely see me succeed is something I'll always be grateful for. And, you know, I mean, you'll sit with someone and um, they might share information with you, share a little bit with it. No, but when you spend time with someone who genuinely deep down inside of wants to see you become successful, that's a different, that's a different environment, different atmosphere. And she provided that for me. It was one of those things where everything she knew, she wanted to pass that on to me. And that was kind of, that was pretty cool just to be around her. Um, and we were actually on the same operator team now also, which is a ton of fun just to see both of them, like in our operator meetings and be with them. So that's awesome. I'm glad you shared more about both of them and even more about your family too. Man, we all have those people in our lives. And I love that they've played such a big part in your life and the way that you now lead a team today and caring for you, but then also the development piece. Two huge takeaways is is care for people, man. Genuinely care for them. Like go after people and support them, not when it's easy and things are going well, but especially when things are hard, because that's when it's going to be most impactful. See the potential in people. Like see that inherent potential that each person has, call that out in them, call them to more like people have done with you, Richard, and like you're now doing with your team. It's so much value and everything that we've talked about today, we're wrapping it up. And man, I wanted to give you the opportunity, Richard, just to send people out with some parting wisdom. If you want people to remember one thing about the episode today, the podcast today, what's the one thing that you want them to walk away with? And so I'll hand it over to you. The floor is yours. And then I'll wrap it up. So this is a true story. Last night, I had a burger, put Chick-fil-A sauce on it. And someone put me onto that like a few months ago. And no lie, like if you never tried a burger with Chick-fil-A sauce, like, yeah, that there goes your takeaway for today, right? Like, a, <laughs> That's the one burger. thing, people. If you remember one yeah. thing, get some Chick-fil-A sauce, ask for one extra sauce next time you go through Chick-fil-A and put it on, put it on your next 
burger. That's so funny, Richard. On the last episode, Arden, who is my colleague, Mm -hmm. she said she keeps a stash of Chick-fil-A sauce in her Mm -hmm. drawer and she'll put it on like anything, like whatever's for lunch that day, just throws Mm -hmm. some Chick-fil-A sauce on it. So burger though, I have not tried that. That's I mean, text me when you do. I I guarantee it'll change your life there. It changed my life, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) You know, unfortunately this year I've been to maybe three or four funerals. So like my mother-in-law passed away in July, a few months ago. My aunt passed away maybe two months before, you know, before that, another, you know, death in the family. So as you know, I'm sitting there kind of listening to everyone's story, like, man, what is what is the thing that I'm going to be remembered for, right? What is that thing? And for everyone, it's something different. I can't define that for you, but I know that for me, when I think about the things I want to be known for, like, you know, just being generosity, you know, humility, that only happens when I'm present, right? I know that when I'm not present in the moment, I'm not those things. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty snappy, pretty focused on the next thing that I want to get done. So for me, it just falls like I can be those things if I'm present. I think it's the truth for anyone else, whatever you want to be known for. When you're present, you're going to be more likely to, to be those things to the people around you. So maintaining the focus on that legacy that you want to leave is a great takeaway for everybody. When those things are happening, things that are contributing to that legacy that you want to leave, whatever it is, if it's meaningful, those things are usually happening when you're fully present to be where your feet are. That's that mm-hmm. phrase is sticking yeah. with me that you mentioned earlier. So, yeah. and thanks again for being on the podcast today, Richard. I've had a blast in the chat with you, getting to ask you questions. I know I've learned a lot just from this conversation. So I know that everybody else out there has too. Man, we'll talk soon. Okay. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks again for having me on. There you have it, everybody. Biggest leadership takeaway. Next time you grill burgers, throw some Chick-fil-A sauce on it. All kidding aside, what Richard said there at the end is the absolute truth. We're all going to leave this world one day. What do you want to be remembered for? No matter what it is, it is much more likely to happen when you live fully present exactly where your feet are. One of my main takeaways from this conversation was a clear focus on three things as a leader. One, delivering high levels of care, two, providing opportunities for development, and three, applying healthy accountability to your team. If we can do those three things consistently, we're gonna be all right. Lastly, the most formative time of our day is the morning. Richard talked about the significant life impact he's seen from intentionally guarding his time from six to 10 a.m. My challenge to you all is to evaluate how you spend the first hours of your day. Are you allowing texts, emails, news, social media to dictate how your day goes? Try spending that time in prayer, meditation, scripture reading, worship. Watch how it changes things. Final announcement, myself and the WildSpark team are gonna be in Nash Vegas for Chick-fil-A's next in a couple of days. If you are in the Chick-fil-A world, we'd love to meet you face to face. We'll be hanging out in the vendor area of the hub, so come find us. And as always, stay saucy.